High performance starts with self-awareness. You have to understand who you are. You have to understand the strengths of your behaviors and the weaknesses and what triggers you so you can adapt and no one's perfect. As you think about your high performance journey, where would you rate your self-awareness? If you want to improve your outreach and build a better qualified pipeline, you need to understand the baseline behaviors you're starting from. In this episode, Dan and I break down the eight behavioral attributes that impact your outreach. As you listen, you'll gain insight into why you struggle with different aspects of business development and how you can overcome those challenges. Let's jump in. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. Aren't you going to ask me what we're going to talk about today? Oh, yeah. Dan, <laughs> what are we talking about today? There's a big theme I've been seeing with our clients, and that is self-awareness and self-regulation. And I love seeing how everybody's starting to pay more attention to it because it's so important. You have to become self-aware so you know what behavioral attributes that you need to manage better or behavioral attributes that you need to leverage better. You also need to become self-aware so that you better understand what your triggers are in conversations. In this one, I want to talk about the eight behavioral attributes that are key to high performance outreach, to excelling at your outreach. And I, and I got the idea based off of podcast number 67 we did a few weeks back, which is the five behaviors that will change the game. And that was about the five behaviors that influences your ability to ask powerful, meaningful questions. So today, let's talk about how behaviors influence outreach, how they influence prospecting. What do you think? I think that makes a lot of sense. We got to prospect before we can get the conversations. So let's do it. And we both know so much of outreach tends to be, hey, say this, or here's a script you can use. Just fill in your offering and your company name, or here's what you send out. And if they respond this way, you respond that way. If they respond this other way, you respond this different way. That feels so disingenuous. And I think it causes stress and tension. And so I think outreach has to become something where you can feel genuine and authentic when you do it so that you have more courage and you can gain momentum. And, you know, I think if we are being totally honest, there is no secret sauce to outreach. You are dealing with humans. Every human thinks differently. They absorb information differently. It really is just a matter of trying new things and, and being creative and conversational and authentic in your outreach that it seems to work the best. And there's no secret sauce. So if you're looking for that magic bullet, it doesn't exist. And any sales trainer that tells you it does, I, I think is is not being truthful. So let's get to the eight behaviors that influence outreach. A behavior can be a learned behavior, or it can be something innate and natural. And there are circumstances in our lives that can adjust our behaviors. So let's keep all that in mind. The first behavior is your warmth behavior. It's your 
people engaging behavior, your friendly behavior. Number two is your emotional stability behavior, your ability to manage frustration. Number three is more of a dominance or assertive type behavior. Four is more of a socially bold, need to impress, fearless type of behavior. The fifth one is your sensitivity or your tough-mindedness. The sixth one is your apprehension, your tendency to worry. The seventh one is your perfectionism. And then the last one, and one of the most important ones, is your drive. It's your urgency behavior, your intensity behavior. These eight behaviors are going to be the key to your success and your ability to manage them. Either you're going to manage them up or down or volume up or volume down. So let's talk about the friendly one. The friendly behavior, Kylie, that's just your innate need and tendency or desire to want to engage and meet people. You get energy from people. You'll go to a convention or some kind of workshop, right? And it's for three days. And the higher your need to engage people and the more friendly you are, those three days of engaging people, you're going to be on cloud nine. Now, the problem is for some of us, including myself, who don't have that high, high, high friendly score, we're more in the middle as neutral, going to a three-day conference does not sound appealing. We might make it through the first day and the first night. By the second day, we're looking for that quiet time that we can think to ourselves. So friendly is important. If you know you're more of an introvert, you're going to have to learn to volume it up. You don't have to change who you are. But if you have to go to a two-day conference, volume it up for two days. Work mode, right? Increase your friendly. Make the effort. So, Kylie, let's go to the next one. And, and this is one that I know that most people don't even think about. That's your emotional stability. It's your resilience. It's paramount with the activity of outreach, right? Because you're going to face rejection, people not responding, all right, which is frustrating. How do you handle that frustration? Do you bail? Do you send that breakup email after three? Your emotional stability absolutely feeds into the consistency and the cadence regarding outreach. The more stable you are and how you handle frustration, the more consistent and patient you're likely to be when it comes to your outreach and how you have it scaled or set up through automation or whatever the other platforms are out there. And I have some clients that are lower with this emotional stability score and how I see that play out for them is they'll get a little bit discouraged when they don't they don't see results like they have in the past or the momentum starts to slow down from response or traction from their outreach efforts. So just be mindful that when you get into those lows, just remember trust your process and stay consistent with your actions. If you're a person that you can tell you get frustrated because, A, maybe you're very competitive, maybe you're very driven, you wake up in the morning and you just want action and you want immediate gratification, you want results, you want things to happen, you need to pay attention because your emotional stability may be a little bit on the low side. And because of that, you have to make sure you're not allowing frustration to set in. 
You're not wasting energy always changing for the sake of changing. It is a process. You have to play the long game. The next one's pretty obvious, and that is it's the dominant assertiveness that you bring. It's your innate assertiveness, your innate competitiveness. And for those who might score on a scale of one to 10, somewhere in the mid range, you can tell there are times that you assert as an individual and there, you can tell there are times and situations where you're a little bit more passive. You know, if you debate, hey, do I send the email now? Is this the right time to ask them for a meeting? That could be a little bit of that passivity coming in. And so because of that, you have to remind yourself through self-awareness, wait a minute, my role, my responsibility is to reach out to people and engage them to see if a conversation makes sense. I owe them that. I don't owe them anything else, but my obligation as a professional is to make these outreaches. Keep it business. Don't make it personal and try to up that assertiveness. And for those that may be high in assertiveness, you may want to keep it a little bit more reserved when you do your outreach because your natural tendency may be to challenge the status quo and that could come off as abrasive. The next score, I would say it's in the top three out of the eight, easily in the top four, maybe top three, and that's boldness. As human beings, we are social creatures. We all know that. Some have a far higher degree of boldness where they're more fearless. They need to impress. These are the individuals, and some of you in the audience are like this, where you have no problems doing some public speaking. You have no problems going across a crowded room in a conference and introducing yourself for the first time to a complete stranger, right? You have no problem seeking people out and putting yourself in a position where you can engage them. That is a fearlessness that you have. If you have that, use it. It's hard to teach. It's hard to volume up boldness. For those of you who don't have it, maybe some of your assertiveness or competitiveness can compel you to take those bolder actions that you know you need to take. And for somebody who has high social boldness, like myself, one of the things that I have to remember is to keep my excitement at bay because I could come across as way too enthusiastic or bubbly or excited in an email, and it could come across as being attached. The next behavior is sensitivity. Two extremes here. As a human being, we can be sensitive where we might be called thin-skinned, or we can be what's called tough-minded or thick-skinned. There's more than likely a argument for the sweet spot being in the middle because you want to be empathetic. You don't want to be overly sensitive where you take everything personally and then you take on the feelings of others. If you find yourself doing that, you need to find a way mentally to remind yourself, it's just business. These people don't have to end up being your best friend. Because remember, as a professional, your obligation and your responsibility is to make outreaches to see if you can introduce yourself and your expertise to companies. And if you're overly sensitive, you're going to hold yourself back a lot. So you're going to have to learn to dial it down and just remind yourself it's a business. It's just a responsibility. That's all it is. Now, on the flip side, those who are tough-minded and thick-skinned have to be careful because 
they'll lack empathy in their outreach. They'll lack empathy in how they engage people. And those individuals tend to be very direct, very black and white. And unfortunately, they don't mean to, but they just don't spend a lot of time thinking about how their interaction or their approach will be received. They're not empathetic. That empathy switch doesn't go off in their head. Number six, one of my favorites, apprehension, worry. I say that because it's like a double-edged sword here, Kylie, on apprehension, right? So we know that someone who's a bit of a high warrior or someone who feels more apprehension, it can be a good thing sometimes because you worry about doing a great job. You worry about making your number. You worry about hitting your budget. You worry about the depth and the size of the pipeline. You worry about uh, making sure that you come through for your teammates and that you're able to hold your own. And that is a positive or productive part of worry. It makes you conscientious of, of doing a great job of performing at a high level. The downside of worry for, for these two thirds, right, is you might worry about making mistakes too much. What if you look foolish? What if the question doesn't come out right? What if the email that you send doesn't hit the exact notes that that prospect is looking for in your outreach and they never respond or they respond no? or they reject you in any other shape, form, fashion. That's the downside of worry. And in that case, you have to learn to let go and not take things personal. So if you're someone who you know you're a worry person, you tend to worry, and you know that you're a person who can be sensitive, a little thin-skinned, and you combine the two together, you're going to hold yourself back a lot because you're going to worry about rejection, coming off wrong, sounding or looking silly, Because of that worry and your extra sensitivity to it, you're going to procrastinate and hold back on taking the actions that you know you need to take. Well, and I like to remind people that your prospects could also be in need or looking for the exact type of service or product that you have to offer. So in order to overcome that worry, you have to think about the possibilities that exist out there and what good could come from your outreach if it's timely and relevant for your prospect. So this next one, I think most of our listeners are going to think it's a positive. It can be if it's used and leveraged appropriately. And that's the perfectionism. That's this need for order and control. Here's where it plays out as a negative. Someone who has a high perfectionist score, that they like order and they like discipline and they like control. When it comes to outreach, you're going to do a lot of procrastinating because you're going to say to yourself, okay, I want to automate my outreach here. I have all these tools that my company's invested in. Every Friday, I want to set it up so it sends out 25 new engagement emails. But your perfectionist is going to kick in and say, well, I want to make sure those emails are perfect. I want to make sure that we have the right case study. I want to make sure the case study has the right logo on it, has the right titles on it. I want to make sure that my next outreach maybe has a different case study, or maybe it's a white paper on X. And I better plan out my first 12 to 16 weeks so that I can really get in a good rhythm because I want to make sure my prospects see that I've really thought about their business And it's just so smooth and so fluid in my outreach. It has such a great representation of the professionalism, the high standard that I keep. Now, if you're always going to wait 
for things to be perfect and always tweak it and keep tweaking it before they ever take action, you're going to end up procrastinating a lot. In fact, you're going to dig yourself a hole because you're never really going to get it going. It's always going to be a long process to start. And then once you start, there's going to be too many stops and starts along the way. And you're never going to be able to leverage your work because you're always looking for it to be precise and exact. And there's no such thing when it comes to outreach. So if you have a high apprehension as a person, you're a little bit of a worrier, you're going to worry even more about being perfect. So it's going to cause more delays, more consternation, more conflict in, in, inside yourself. Is it really ready to go? Should I do it now? Should I wait? And then if you add sensitivity to it, that whole idea of risk and accepting or experiencing rejection, all right, now it's like a, that's like the triple whammy. You got the sensitivity. You don't like rejection. You worry about rejection. Now you get the perfectionism. And if you don't get it right, you're going to get rejected. So again, not one of these behaviors on their own can be good or bad. It's how they work together. But if you are a perfectionist, try to take the perfectionism and put it somewhere else in your business. Don't put it in your outreach. Another observation I've had with high perfectionists, they want to spend a lot of time researching companies before they actually do the outreach. I will have some folks who spend more time on research than they do on actual outreach. Your prospects don't care, you know, to a certain degree, if you've researched them to the depths that you think you need to. So just keep your research very, very minimal. If you have to set a timer for no more than three minutes per company, I would suggest doing that because a lot of times perfectionists will want to know everything that they possibly can to make themselves feel more comfortable in their outreach efforts. Now, I will say on the flip side of this, if you don't have some perfectionism in you, you may have a very difficult time putting together a process and a cadence for how you conduct your outreach. So when I say process and cadence, that is having a process I'm following, you know, maybe it's every three weeks I'm I'm sending out some sort of touch point to my prospects. That needs to be organized and it needs to be thought out. And you need to have your, your messaging and your content preloaded in that process if you want it to run optimally. So my higher perfectionist will have an easier time doing this than my lower perfectionist who want to just kind of shoot out emails when they feel compelled. And so we've got to take the best of both sides of this and try to meet somewhere in the middle with this perfectionism score when it comes to outreach. The last one, Kylie, is the hardest and it can't be taught. It's also the hardest to be self-aware of, which makes it the hardest to self-regulate and manage. And it's an individual's innate drive, the innate intensity. And the reason why the drive is so important is because it's that linchpin, it's that jet fuel that drives an individual to get up and to put in their calendar that they have to make outreach two hours a day or an hour a day or three hours a day or a half an hour a day every day of the week. That's drive. It's that individual says, become you know, hell or high water. I have to reach out to three people or five people each day and I cannot miss a day. What makes that happen, what makes that commitment continuous or that commitment true is the individual's drive. 
the more driven they are, the more they're going to stick to it. Drive literally is the catalyst for everything that we do. The actions that we take, the risks that we take, the expectations that we have. I'll give you a really specific example just to build off of the example you shared, Dan. I have clients that will have on their their 12-week game plan to listen to the Breaking Sales podcast once a week. And then when I talk to them in one-on-one meetings, the lower tension folks will say, oh, I forgot. I didn't go for my walk. So that's when I usually listen to my podcast. So I just didn't get it done this week. And then my high tension folks will say, I listened to the podcast. I took notes. Here are the two or three things I wanted to talk about in our one-on-one meeting today. And here's the specific example of a conversation where I think we can, we can apply it. Yeah. I think that tension score feeds into obviously everything. Do I make my three to five calls every single day? The more tension you feel about it, the more likely you are to stay consistent and do it. It's also the tension score is so important when you're actually in front of a prospect because that tension score drives you to get clarity. I need to ask this question because I need to help this prospect and me and my team get clarity on are there next steps? Should there be next steps? And if there are, what are they? The higher the person's tension score, the more conviction that they're going to have toward getting that clarity. The less the tension score, the more likely the individual will accept, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll call you in a month or, you know, we'll get together again, you know, maybe in six months. So as you said, Kylie, that tension that someone feels is paramount to the level of success that they attain. It also drives how strong of a desire they will have to make changes happen. So somebody with a lower tension score is going to be a little bit more okay with the status quo for a little bit longer. It has a close affiliation with somebody's openness to change and their flexibility. So there are two different scores for that, but this tension score will help be a catalyst to somebody making positive changes faster. So Dan, this is a lot to soak in in one episode. What do you want to make sure our listeners take from this conversation? Each one of these behavioral attributes, the all eight of them that we just spoke to, are within every single one of our listeners. And high performance starts with self-awareness. You have to understand who you are. You have to understand the strengths of your behaviors and the weaknesses and what triggers you so you can adapt. And no one's perfect. As we went through this list today of all eight, I hope our listeners were thinking about where they thought their strengths were and where they thought maybe their challenges are, because you have them. No one out there would be perfect in all eight of these behaviors. But if you want to improve outreach and you want to build a deeper and a better qualified pipeline, because you want to be successful in your business, you have to understand what are the behaviors that you're starting with? And, you know, Kylie, as you and I talk about, it's behaviors first, because these are innate. This is how you are going to interact with the rest of the world. Then comes skill. You cannot apply skill if your behaviors don't align with the skill that you're trying to apply. And so 
that's the big thing I hope our listeners take from this, that, hey, skill is important, right? Investing yourself is important, but it all starts with, can you become more self-aware of who you are so you can start to self-regulate and manage? And that'll have a huge impact on your experiences and your business. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?